All right, welcome everyone to our second episode of the Graw Pod. I'm Doug Graw of the Graw Group, and I'm happy to be joined today by Gary Randall, my business partner with the Graw Group. Gary, it's hard to believe, but the first episode was not a complete failure. We think we've got some people who liked it and listened to it. I'm excited to be back, Gary. So far, so good, Doug. We haven't exactly put Cal Ripken's streak in jeopardy yet, but we feel good about our start. Our goal is to stay in touch on a timely topic and interview guests that can help offer our customers practical solutions. P.S. The baseball analogy will make some sense later on. That's a great point, Gary. And I like the timeliness because today's topic and what we're kicking off is very timely. In fact, we're recording this on May 6th, and I saw that Freight Waves had a good article on this this morning, and that is the battle for talent in the industry. The article was about the logistics segment and their battle for staff. And we're going to kick off a three-episode series on talent in the industry, specifically the attraction and development of staff and leaders for your business. I really like this topic, too, because I don't think it gets enough coverage in our industry. We spend a lot of time talking about the driver shortage, rightfully so. It's a huge pain point for us, but we don't talk enough about the technician shortage and the office staff shortage. You're right, especially when it comes to small and medium-sized businesses. Obviously, and understandably so, a lot of the big companies get talked about in the news and they have some pretty robust hiring practices and so on. The industry has so many great small and medium-sized businesses. And when you're a small and medium-sized business, you can't always afford a bench. So when a spot opens up on your roster, you have someone quit unexpectedly, you have a retirement, somebody goes on maternity leave, whatever it is, those can be significant disruptors to your business. Business. Then to pile on, because it's such a significant disruption, people get hurried in trying to fill the spot. So they try to fill it really fast. And that's not always the most effective way to fill the spot. I think that is true. And I think the flip side of it can also be true. When businesses don't have a bench or a good staff pipeline, they sometimes hold on to employees that are no longer a good fit. They settle and then the results show it. Yeah, there's a great point in the FreightWaves article, and I've heard this before in another context about culture is what you tolerate. So if you tolerate middling employees or poor performers, that's what your culture is. You want to be slower on the higher side and quicker on the fire side. So what can trucking and logistics companies do to build good pipelines for office employees? Just like we're always mining for new driver talent, I think we need to keep mining for office talent. We need to do it in a variety of ways. I always liked having a team that was a healthy mix of fresh college grads, team members who gained their experience at other companies, and team members that we had developed internally, whose experience came from within our organization. I like that too. I think it's a good mix. And I think you did a really good job over the years of that. Gary, you and I are both sports guys and we talk a lot about coaching trees and you have a very good coaching tree. And I think it's because A, we're really good at developing people, but B, you believed in that mix and it is a good team mix. And so for our next three episodes, we're going to talk about how to develop that mix. We're going to talk with experts from the college pipeline. We're going to talk with experts from the, what I would describe as the experienced outside talent pipeline. And we're going to talk to people about how to develop internal candidates and develop future leaders for your organization. And that brings us to our first guest for this three-part series. I can never remember his exact title because it has changed a little bit over the years and academia is full of very long titles. But I do know that he is in charge of the supply chain program at Iowa State University. He's a longtime tenured professor 
His name is Scott Graw. So as you might imagine, what that means is his best attribute is he gets to call me his brother. It's interestingly enough, Doug, I got a chance to meet Scott for the first time this morning, and he failed to mention that attribute. Instead, he modestly claimed to be the smartest, best looking, and most talented baseball player who, by the way, played the longest from the original Graw group that grew up in Iowa. (laughs) Scott, that Cal Ripken reference was for you. Doug, it's probably time. Any interest in a (laughs) cross-examination? That's probably a fair description. So Scott, before we get into the meat of it, and oh, by the way, shameless plug for my brother, he is regularly a guest on a variety of different shows. He's been quoted in various publications, both mainstream and industry specific, published many times over, very, very accomplished in his career. I refuse to refer to him as Professor Graw, which he gets called on a lot of other podcasts. So I'm just going to call him Scott because that's what he is to me. But with that, Scott, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure, I'd be happy to. And Gary, I was taking copious notes there because I think I'm going to update my bio with most of what you just said. So I may use that going forward. So thank you for that. The basic background, currently I am serving as chair of the Department of Supply Chain Management at Iowa State University. Prior to my academic life, I spent time managing supply chain operations for Target Corporation, both at the distribution center level and at headquarters. Spent some time in domestic transportation, working with truckload carriers, managing those relationships, intermodal freight, ocean freight, air freight, you name it. I've spent some time working with it on the shipper side. Also spent some time at Polaris Industries managing inventory operations for service parts, accessories, apparel, and so forth. I had a chance to do a few things before getting my PhD at the University of Oklahoma. I also hold an MBA from the University of Minnesota. As Doug mentioned, I've been here at Iowa State for about 11 years now. In my time here, spent a lot of time engaged in research. My research tends to focus on the relationship between shippers and their logistics partners, whether they be asset-based, non-asset-based, 3PLs, looking at how to make those relationships better. Spent some time as an associate dean. I was associate dean here in the Ivy College of Business for strategy and engagement, where I spent a lot of time looking at developing new programs and finding ways to further engage with our business partners. For the past two years now, I have been chair of the standalone Department of Supply Chain Management. Thanks, Scott. We certainly appreciate you being here with us this morning. When we used to visit college campuses for career fairs, we knew we had an uphill battle to fight. We walked in representing a medium-sized business, trying to recruit against Fortune 500 companies with big fancy booths and a small army of recruiters circling the students. The plastic pizza cutters that we gave away were a big hit, but that only went so far. Seriously, we did have our fair share of success winning with strong candidates, but oftentimes it felt daunting. Scott, what would you tell small and medium-sized trucking companies to convince them that they can and should get into the college recruiting world and compete with the big companies? You raised some excellent points there. And the short answer is yes, they can. And yes, they should. Mainly because there's a lot of really good talent. One of the things in my time here at Iowa State University, I'm always impressed by the students that come through the program. There's always a large handful that will stand out as being extremely impressive. But across the board, there's a lot of talent coming out of Iowa State and a lot of key supply chain programs across the country at other institutions as well. I'll be honest, it can be a bit more challenging as a small or medium-sized trucking company. You don't always have that brand recognition, but that's why it takes 
probably a little bit more time and a little bit more effort to establish those relationships. If you think about it like any other supplier that you're working with, you're looking for the supply of talent and you want a long-term relationship. So that way you really can develop a pipeline. And that's one of the things that I like about the way you framed up this series that you're looking at. It's this pipeline. When I think pipeline, I don't think transactional where I'm just going to go grab somebody and then go somewhere else and grab somebody else. I want to establish relationship with that four-year institution or that two-year institution, whatever the institution might be, so that that way you have this continued flow or at least opportunity for talent as you need it. One of the things that, that engaging with universities will do, and this can be through career services and through engagement with professors, and we can talk about that a little bit more later on, over time, what's going to happen is your brand's going to become a little bit stronger on campus. As faculty get to know you, they're going to use your examples and examples about your firm in the classroom. They're going to see your logo in places that the students hadn't seen it before. People are going to start asking questions, and that's really what's going to start to develop a strong pipeline for any size company, but especially those small and medium-sized firms. Really appreciate your comments on that. I think what you're trying to say is, how do you stand out from the crowd if you're a smaller or medium-sized company? We knew that we needed to go the extra mile to stand out when we came in to visit. We needed to create our share of what we thought were wow moments. One thing we worked hard at was developing good relationships with the professors. We had opportunities to speak at their classes. We tried to be a reference point for them and answer questions when they were writing papers. We opened up our offices and our shops for tours or visits whenever they or their students were in town. We really tried to become a trusted partner in the educational process of those students. And I think that over time, they knew that they were always welcome and we were going to make time for them. We were never afraid to ask professors for references also. So when we were trying to get into a new school that we hadn't been to before, if the professor that we were currently working with had a peer or a colleague that was working at that university or college, we asked for a reference and asked them to make a phone call for us and kind of introduce us or help introduce us. They were always glad to do it. Also, if we had a current successful employee who was an alum of a school we were going to visit, we made sure to always have that employee make the trip with us. That always seemed to work well at job fairs and with the presentations we did. All those experiences combined to show me that there's much more to college recruiting than just showing up. So Scott, what do you see companies doing today to successfully recruit that maybe they weren't doing in the past? It's a great question. And those that are doing a really good job are very clearly showing today's students this is what life is like on the other side of your degree. And when I say that, they're doing exactly what you just mentioned. They're bringing the recent grad back to campus to talk about what they're doing, how they're making an impact. But essentially, when you bring somebody into the classroom or into a career fair, that student needs to look at that person and say, yeah, I can see myself there. I can see myself in those shoes. And I like the prospect of being there and doing that. A lot of people think, oh, it's all about the starting salaries and so forth. And well, yeah, that's important. That comes later on. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to grab the attention of the students. That's going to be by demonstrating and showing a culture that really resonates with the students. We've spent a fair amount of time just here on campus talking about what student expectations are from a culture standpoint or from a career path standpoint. The companies, whether they be trucking companies other logistics service providers or shippers that are recruiting our students, one of the things that they do really well is they can show this is what the career path looks like when you join our firm. 
This is what the culture is like when you join our firm. And here's what it's like to be an employee. They're showing energy and they're showing a passion for not just what it is that they do, but for the company that they work for as well. That culture fit is really, really important. The other thing that students really like to see now in career opportunities and jobs as they look ahead is they want to know that they can make an impact. A lot of them are looking to see what's the impact that they're going to have on society, what's that positive impact that they're going to have in the world. And they want to be able to see that this job that I'm looking at taking, I can really have an impact in some way, shape or form by doing this. And those are things that really stand out for firms. I'm thinking of the small and the medium-sized companies, especially some that may be in smaller towns, which is common in our industry, that they're not going to have the appeal necessarily that some companies in the big cities might be able to get with recruits. But I think of everything you just said is exactly right in how to attract people. But I feel like sometimes some smaller companies don't realize they do that stuff. They just don't necessarily sell it. They may not look like a formal career path, But if they really sit down and think about it, they can say, yeah, in our 100 truck trucking company, you are definitely going to get experience in safety, in recruiting, in operations. You can get a wide variety of experience and that can help you develop into effective leaders down the road. I'd like to see some smaller companies and medium-sized companies recognize that they are doing a lot of this stuff. They can just sell it a little bit better. The biggest advantage that the small companies have over the big companies is the ability to bring that recent college graduate in and expose them to a lot of different areas of the company and give them a diverse set of responsibilities. Whereas if you go to work for a large company, you may have one specific task or one specific job that you're doing. The career path may be very well defined in terms of you do this for a while, then it opens up one of these two paths. When you go to the smaller companies, a lot of times we need somebody to come in and fill this gap, but you do a really good job with that. You can go any one of a number of different directions. And oh, by the way, it's going to be seen by senior leadership. You go to a large company, that CEO or that senior vice president may have no idea who you are for quite some time. You go to the small and medium-sized companies, you may have access to or at least be recognized by the senior leadership team at that organization. And that can go a long way to really getting a college graduate excited about what it is that they're doing and the impact that they're having. You mentioned the smaller towns and so forth. One of the things that's important for small and medium-sized companies, any company for that matter, to consider is pick your schools that you're cultivating these relationships with and developing these pipelines with carefully. If you're in a small town or you're in a rural area, you may not want to go to an urban area to recruit your students. You may want to go to a college town or a university in a smaller setting where a lot of the students come from farming communities, small towns, and that's what they want. We've got a lot of students here at Iowa State. Yeah, we've got a lot from the Twin Cities. They want to move back. They want to be part of the city. But we've also got a lot who grew up on a farm and want to go back, live close to home, or really like that small town life. They've got the work ethic, and that's a good fit for them. But you've got to make sure that you're picking the right university for the students that you're looking for. That is such a good point, Scott. We had great success. The company that Doug and I worked for was located in the Twin Cities, and we had great success looking regionally. At Iowa State, that was one of the schools but also the Wisconsin state branches where there were a lot of kids going to school there that were from the Twin Cities and they wanted to get back home. When they graduated, they wanted to get back home. One of the ways that we were able to attract kids that I think maybe we can talk about for a minute is through some internships. 
you think about everything we've talked about so far is you attract good talent by making the job interesting and make sure that it's a good cultural fit. It's a good geographic fit. The location is. But also you think to yourself, well, boy, how do you convince a kid of that in the short amount of time that you're meeting them and interviewing them? Well, we had great success with internships where they came in and they got a chance to see our company, learn who we were and what we were about. Oftentimes those internships with the sophomore level turned into multiple years of internships before they finally graduated. So what about internship programs? What are your thoughts on that, Scott? What have you seen that you like and what have the students come back and said they don't like? This is something we actually spent a fair amount of time talking about. In fact, we've had companies come back and ask us to do small research projects on what makes the best internship. And so we've actually put groups of students onto some market research and doing some surveys of companies and students to try and figure out what is it that makes a good internship? Because some companies just haven't had much success in retaining some of those employees while others have had a ton of success. I'll start by giving you some insight in terms of what I tell the students when it comes to internships. From the moment the students step on campus, I encourage them, and a lot of us encourage the students, to line up internships as early as they possibly can. If that means starting with your first internship after your freshman year and then doing another one after your sophomore and junior years, then let's do it. The advantage to doing that is you can find out really quickly what you like and what you don't like. It's okay to go ahead and take an internship, come back saying, I hated it. This is not the part of supply chain that I want any part of. I don't want to be in purchasing or I don't want to be in trucking. I don't want to be in this. I want to do something different. This is the opportunity for students to figure that out. Now, from a company standpoint, I will say that the most successful internships, the internships that the students come back really excited about are the internships where they do get some exposure to multiple aspects of the company and your potential jobs. If you've got an internship design so that that intern can see, maybe not do, but see the various roles within the organization, they can quickly identify, okay, this person was doing this and that looks like a lot of fun. And that's what I want to do. This person was doing this other thing that didn't look as interesting to me. So that's not exactly what I want to do, but there are clearly some opportunities at that company that I really liked. The other thing that makes a really good internship is exposure to managers and having managers, supervisors, or other leaders take notice of them. And the other really important thing that students are looking for is feedback. At the end of the internship, is there any type of mechanism for providing feedback? Hey, we really liked what you did here. We think you could improve in this area. But really good candid feedback really helps the students to feel like what they were doing was important. If it's you show up, you do the tasks that you're assigned, internships over, you go back to school without really having that formal and informal feedback, the students really struggle to figure out, was I really needed? And was this really something that's of value to the company? So those are some important things. The internships that don't work well are those where I see it happen. A company will give you a project to work on. You'll work on it by yourself. You won't really need to engage with other people, but it's a project. And at the end of it, you've done it, but you really didn't get a chance to sell yourself and your company to that student. And that student really didn't get a fair shake at selling themselves to you as a potential employer. 
You've got to have those opportunities to engage in different ways. I want to take a moment to plug the internship experience that I had because it was a fantastic one. Now it's many years old and I have no idea what their internship program looks like today. But yes, it was a large company with a very large internship program. But I think a lot of the principles can be adopted across industries and up and down sizes. I had an internship with a company called Pella Windows and Doors. Most people are familiar with it. Pella was very deliberate about their internship program, very organized. There were interns in accounting and operations and engineering and logistics all over the place. They organized some social things. So I think there were about 80 of us interns. They made sure that we all interacted with each other and could have some fun. But more importantly, they did a couple of different things. One, they had some specific leadership items. So for example, that was where I learned about business lunch etiquette. And they had someone come in and teach you about why is there two forks at my plate and working outside in. We had how to present your business card and how to greet people and so on. We had a leadership series where they would bring in the president of the local college, the CEO of the company, and a couple other local leaders just to talk about leadership and being a good citizen and so forth. So they did those types of development things. But to a point you made, Scott, about making sure it is interactive and you get to get exposure and so on. The best thing that Pella did was they had an internship competition. And the competition was about the improvements you made for the company while you were there. You didn't go in there just to like, okay, well, I'm going to kill time for three months and collect a little bit of money and get something nice on my resume. Pella wanted improvements for its business. And you were going to have to quantify it. You were going to have to demonstrate it in front of a group of not frontline managers. Everybody was director and VP level people. It was a big deal to whether or not you were going to win that competition. No, I did not win it. I came up with an idea that saved the company a lot of money, but there was another one who came up with a little bit more money savings than I did. I did not win the prize, but I was told I did very, very well with it. Now, the flip side of that is I have seen companies they called it an internship, but they would have a person just scan paperwork all summer or just do inventory counts. That's not an internship program. I understand sometimes work like that has to be done, but that's not an internship program. You're doing nothing to attract talent. You're not filling your pipeline. You're really doing nothing for yourself or for that person. So be deliberate about what you want out of an intern. And one legal point that I will make, a lot of people think that internships can be unpaid. And I know there are still plenty of companies and organizations that do provide unpaid internships. It's really not legal. It's really not something you can do unless the person truly is just walking around observing. If they're doing any kind of work for you, you have to pay them. You could do college credit. That's a one way to pay them. I just want people to take away here. Don't think to yourself, you can have an unpaid internship. It's not realistic. Moving on from the internship, Scott, something you touched on a little bit earlier was the relationships. And I agree with you. I think it's a great point that you need to find the colleges and universities that are going to produce students that are going to be a good fit. I know we're speaking in generalizations here, but yes, you are going to have more success at a university that has more students that you think would be a good fit at your organization. 
so Scott, can you talk a little bit about that fit, both with the college, but also the fit with the professors and the career services offices and how to evaluate those fits? Happy to talk about this. This is really important because it helps to understand who the students are that are available, what the general expectations are in terms of the companies that are going to be on site doing the recruiting. But you have to consider, okay, what are the options that you're looking at? Understand that if you go to a top-ranked large school supply chain program like Iowa State University, we get a lot of companies that come and recruit here, a lot of transportation firms, a lot of shippers, whether it be retail, manufacturing, and so forth. So when we train our students, we really do train them. And a lot of supply chain programs do this too. It's on the three pillars of supply chain management, where you've got operations, logistics, and purchasing. They come out with that well-rounded knowledge and understand that when you're competing for students, you're going to be competing with the retailers and manufacturers and other trucking companies and logistics firms and consultants and so forth. You want students that have been trained in that way and that are looking at those companies as well. The two-year option is a great way to get students. They came in, they got the training, they have that basic understanding. There's not many that offer a full, well-rounded supply chain curriculum, but some may have a transportation curriculum or a logistics curriculum or a distribution or warehousing curriculum. And if you're looking to fill a need from that standpoint, you can certainly do that. It doesn't matter where you are. It's important to establish the relationship with the career services team, not all the professors, but if you can strike up a relationship with a couple of professors, that's certainly going to help you because as you do that and as you develop that relationship, they're going to start using your company as examples in the classroom. If you develop a really strong relationship, you may even have the opportunity to develop and write a small case study where you're going to have the students actually read and provide feedback on a business problem that you've had to resolve, whether it's something that you've been through in the past or something you're currently going through. But finding opportunities to engage students in what's becoming more and more common across universities, and that's experiential learning. Do you have an opportunity to get students involved and engaged in a project? Doesn't have to be a full, big, semester-long project. Sometimes it can be just a small project where you're willing to sit with a team of three to five students and talk about some of the issues that you're facing and see if they can provide some solutions for you, or at least an evaluation of it. Being willing to create a window into your operation that students can catch a glimpse of not just what it is that you do, but what are the challenges that you face? When you're selling your company, it's it's all positives. This is what we do well. We're really good at this. We're really good at this. Students want to come in and solve problems. So when you're developing these relationships, you want to go to schools where you've got students that are trained and interested in helping you solve problems and then give them the opportunity to solve those problems. At Iowa State, we've got a number of different courses where we have live cases, where we've got companies that every semester we're coming up with a problem for our students to solve. And at the end of the semester, it's not just students reporting solutions on this case study that they read about a company in 1980 that was dealing with this issue. It's let's talk about what's going on at TMC Transportation or John Deere or Target or Best Buy or whoever, but they've got that insight and can address those things. So I want to pause there for a second and talk about this. I want to make sure people understand what that can mean for a company. So I'm a medium-sized company. Think about that. You have a real challenge in your business. It's not an emergency. I've got to solve this problem in the next 24 hours. That's not realistic, but I've got this challenge. I'm just making something up, but it's, I've got some cargo loss issues and some truck security. I've got more customers that are wanting more truck security. 
along with the shipments that I'm hauling for them. I could work with the university and say, hey, do you have a class? Do you have a group of students that would be willing to study our freight network, to study the way we dispatch loads and give us some ideas of how we can improve cargo security for our shipments? I'm not paying for that. Now, I may have to do some legwork and I have to put together some data and I've got to work within the academic world. So there's some work I have to do. But I could, in theory, get some advice, some solutions from a group of students without hiring a new person. And I get to evaluate the students to see if anybody there might be a good fit for me long term. And the students get great experience. They get to work on a real challenge, a real problem. Professors like it because they get access to data. Data can turn into publications and notoriety for them. So there can be a lot of wins around the table, so to speak, in that type of relationship. I think there's a lot of opportunities there for help for a business at a cost-effective way. Scott, am I out of bounds with the way I'm thinking about this? You're hitting the nail on the head. I would add just a couple things to that. One, as a company, if you're willing to engage with a faculty member and you're willing to share some data, you can very quickly become that faculty member's best friend because we thrive on data. We dig into research. We are always protective and we anonymize data whenever we're asked to do so. But the other really important thing to note there, if a company really wants to make this as beneficial as they can, and they really want to get a good solution from the students, they have to be willing to be responsive to the students. So I have had situations where a company will come and say, yeah, this live case sounds great. We would love to have students give us input on this particular problem. Students dig into it. One thing to understand about students, students love to ask a lot of questions. The questions they may ask aren't the questions that you're necessarily expecting. If those students send a question or maybe a series of questions and requests to the company, and it takes three weeks to get a response, it doesn't work because now all of a sudden students operate within a semester. So you've got to be willing to put some time and effort into making this work. And so you're going to have to commit a person or a couple of people to work together to respond to the questions as they come in. If you're able to do that, you'd be amazed at some of the quality of the feedback and the solutions that you will get. Don't dismiss the work of an undergraduate student, particularly undergraduate students that are under the guidance of good faculty members. They're going to come up with some really good solutions for you. You'll be amazed. They'll impress you. Don't shortchange and don't think of these as just token assignments that, hey, we're going to keep Iowa State happy by just throwing them this project. No, give us something that's real and where you really do want some help with it. And we'll do our very best to provide you that help through the students. So Scott, you've teed up everything here really well. I've enjoyed this discussion. I know some clients and some smaller and medium-sized companies that don't love the idea of hiring a college grad because they fear the amount of training that they've got to do. They fear that the person's not experienced enough and won't be able to contribute in the near term. Can you talk about what a company should reasonably expect from a college grad? I'd be happy to. You hire a supply chain major out of Iowa State University or most other universities offering a supply chain program. They're going to be trained. They're going to understand the basics of and even advanced concepts in purchasing, procurement, strategies, forecasting, how to create a forecast, forecasting methods, forecasting tools. They're also going to understand the basics of logistics and transportation, international trade. They're also going to understand in a lot of programs now, some software operations. So they may be experienced with Llamasoft or Oracle or other TMS solutions, different ERP systems, whether it be Microsoft or SAP or some of the others. 
So they're going to come out with training in this area. The other thing that they're going to come out with is they're going to come out with a good knowledge of Excel and they'll be able to do some cool things with those projects. Yes, they're going to require some training, get them familiar with your organization. One of the benefits to hiring somebody straight out of school is they're not going to come in with, well, this is how we did it at this other company because they're not going to have that. And oh, by the way, your really good supply chain graduates are also coming with one, two, maybe three summers worth of internships. So they do have some work experience. So don't dismiss that college grad as being someone who doesn't have any work experience. Two things jump out at me is I know in talking with you over the years and talking with other professors is there's so much more analytical work that's done in your coursework that they can come out. Even if they're not data analysts, even if they're not data engineers, they can do some good analytical work for you. In today's industry, that's a must with all the technology and the data that's coming in. I think another thing to your point earlier about developing relationships with professors, obviously everybody's going to be a little bit careful about this, but one of the things that makes people nervous when they don't have a good track record of work history is, well, is the person going to show up every day? What kind of worker am I getting? Some companies might think to themselves, I can teach you about tank trucking, but I can't teach you how to show up every day. So having that good relationship with a professor, I think you can get that insights of what kind of worker am I getting? We've kind of fallen into a trap ourselves during this conversation today. When we're in trucking and logistics, we like to think of ourselves just talking about people who are going to come in into the operations world. But the reality of it is we need website people. We need salespeople. We need accountants. We need IT development folks. We need lawyers. We need all sorts of people to support our operations. And I don't think we talk enough to people in those disciplines about the exciting stuff that's going on in our world. What would you say to companies about how to recruit the other majors out of the college world? This is important. This is one of the reasons for engaging beyond just your supply chain professors, these various institutions, but getting plugged in with the career services group because they can give you exposure to students across many different disciplines. Reach out and be a part of not just the supply chain club, but maybe the marketing club or the accounting club or the finance club. Visit the other clubs on campus and let them know about the opportunities for accountants within your organization as well. You don't have to resign yourself to just going to the supply chain club events. The other thing that I'll mention here too, and even as we do talk about supply chain, understand as you develop a presence at a university, say the supply chain curriculum, if you can get professors talking about your company on a regular basis, keep in mind that a large portion of those supply chain graduates are going to go out and they're going to work for shippers and they're going to be on the other side of the table. And you want them understanding how your business works and understanding a little bit more about you. And I've had this happen where I've had students of mine go to work. One student is now working for a transportation provider and another student is now working for a shipper. So they were once classmates, and now they're sitting on opposite sides of the table in negotiation. It's important to understand both sides of that relationship. So don't discount. It's not just about you trying to find talent. You're also trying to educate all of our supply chain majors on what your business is all about. So that, that way, you've already influenced the people on the other side of the table. Do you think the trucking student beat the shipper student in the negotiations? Not a chance. That's wrong. <laughs> Logistics should always win. We're better. You know, Scott, you may want to work on that a little bit with your curriculum because 
the trucking <laughs> student should win more often than not. You know what? They likely did in this particular case. Thank you to my big brother for the time today. This is very helpful. Before we wrap up, Scott, if you were to give one, maybe two takeaways, I'm a smaller, I'm a medium-sized trucking company or logistics company, and I need more talent in my office. What should I remember from this podcast? Think long-term. You want to develop a long-term relationship with the right university and do a little bit of research on each of the universities and talk to the professors because you want that long-term relationship. And then the second thing is keep in mind, it's not just about the students that you're looking to hire. Think about establishing your brand and your business for all of the students that we're teaching and the impact that that's going to have on your business going forward, knowing that you've not just educated the people that are now working for you, but others that are going out and making an impact in the industry. I think that's good advice. Gary, we've had a great discussion today. I've enjoyed the time. What are some things that you take away from this? I think what Scott hit on where he mentioned long-term, you never know where someone's going to end up in our industry. We think of supply chain and logistics as being this giant industry, and it is, but every single one of us can think about the fact that someone knows someone who knows someone. That degree of separation is pretty small. So think long-term, make sure that you get out there and introduce your company to the schools, to the kids. That student may not come to work for you right away, but that student someday may be a decision maker who you have an opportunity to benefit from just with that time you spent with them as an undergrad. I agree with that. And for me, I think there's so many opportunities that people don't traditionally think of when they think about having a college recruiting pipeline, so many different ways to get involved. It's way more than going to a career fair. And if you really want it to work well, you have to engage outside of the career fair world. But if people took away one thing, I would encourage them, start small. Don't try to do all of these things at once. Maybe start with your own alma mater. Try to call somebody locally. Just try to start a relationship. Just start talking to a professor. Start talking to a career services office. And you never know where the relationship can go. But if you don't pick up the phone, you don't send out that first email, you're never going to go anywhere. To that point, shameless plug, Iowa State is very much wanting to do these things. There are other universities too. Iowa State's the greatest university in the world. But if you feel like going to another second-rate university, there are other ones to call. Yes, that's all tongue-in-cheek. I hope everybody gathers that. For my brother, it's sgraw at iastate.edu if you want to reach out to him. But there are plenty of other good ones. I know, Gary, you and I had some very good relationships with some small colleges in the upper Midwest that don't take a backseat to anybody in terms of producing good students and being good professors and having good relationships. It's not all about the big universities either. But with that, thank you everyone for the time. Appreciate it. And looking forward to our next episode where we're going to talk about, okay, college grads are nice, but I want to talk about bringing in someone with experience. I need somebody with experience. How do I go find them? And how do I make sure they're going to be successful. We're going to welcome in George Pfizer, longtime executive search consultant in the industry. Very excited about that conversation. Thank you, Evan, for the time. Be safe out there.